I always say this, and I'll say it again. This is the most important lesson in the course. And I guess you come to the place where you realize, I think, I think that of every one of them. Every time I get into one of these lessons, whether it's here at the jail or whether I'm doing it by correspondence or what, I think that some of the things that are contained here are such absolute truths that it's vitally important that the Christian have these things down deep in their heart. So I want to start with, with this here this morning, and, and I'll just kind of go through quickly this first paragraph, but then we're going to linger there for a while. <clears throat> the subject is reconciliation. Reconciliation, the word, the word translated reconcile, Greek is katalaso, and it means to change thoroughly. And it, is, it occurs in its various forms in these scriptures. We're going to look up about three of them. Um, and we'll come back to the change thoroughly part. It says near the end of the lesson. We're gonna, we won't get there until we get right there. Um, I want to start with uh, Jeremiah 9.24, which isn't written down there for your lesson. But I just want to bring something out here that... We've talked about before, I, I linger here a lot, because I even, even tried to have this as the point of this whole course. Jeremiah 9.24, the Lord speaking, by the way, through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. And then the next verse there starts out and just says, for in these I delight, says the Lord. I got a question for you. The word delight, what, uh, how, would, how would you define that word? What is delight? Take joy in. Huh? Take like. joy in. What is it? Take joy in. Joy? Okay. Uh, anything else? Well, one of the things that you're describing by the word joy, and what I think the word, I think the only way to really define either of those words is that they are a feeling. Mm -hmm. huh? if, you do, if you delight in something that's joy bubbling up inside, you really delight in something. I want us to think about that along with something else. We, when we first started, we were talking about the attributes of God, and we said that one of these attributes is the main definer of the Lord God. Which, which one word best defines God? Love. Love. Exactly. Exactly. What I want you to see is we take a look at this word reconciliation. I want you to see how much God loves you and how much He is loved. He delights. Let me read this again. He says, Let him, whoever he is that glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. If I don't accomplish anything else, and the remainder of the years that I have left before God takes me home, I hope that I can teach everybody that I come in contact with that they 
need to know God. And you want to you want to have full, rich, rewarding life. If you want to stand up and be able to take glory in anything, take glory in the fact that you understand God. Not just knowing, but you get to the point where you really, really know God. Uh, and then he says, I am the Lord exercising loving kindness. <laughs> and you know, when we read God's word, we often skim over those kinds of words. We just take them for granted. And I believe we ought not to just take them for granted. What's God doing? He says, I'm exercising. That's what I'm about. I'm doing this. I'm exercising loving kindness. Isn't that great? He does judgment and righteousness in the earth as well. But then he says he delights in these things. All right. Let's, uh, let's turn from there to, to Romans. Those, you see the scriptures that are in that first little <clears throat> opening paragraph? I want to go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting verse 10. Um, let me make sure I'm where I'm supposed to be here. I've got... Oh, I know what I did. I got myself in the wrong book there. I opened up right away. I had it marked and went to 2 Corinthians. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconcile. Remember the definition we had over here of the Greek word, and that means to change thoroughly. What we want to get, what we want to try to get a hold of here is two things. Is number one that it's God doing it. For when we were reconciled, when we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. <laughs> That's a statement in and of itself. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. But not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received the reconciliation. Let me ask you if you see anything there that indicates anything we have done. The only thing it says about us is that we were enemies, right? We were enemies. We didn't do this reconciling thing. God did it. It's a, it's a work of God on behalf of us because he loves us. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. I'll skip that first. I want to go to chapter 5, verse 18 well, actually, I'm going to start in verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. <clears throat> we use the word in, or the word in is used a couple of times in this passage. I'm going to read for you, and uh, we want to at least acknowledge them. First of all, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, catch this, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and not imputing the trespasses to them and has reconciled and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And I'll get to and come back to that part in a minute. A uh, couple of things here that's important. Next, next week will be uh, lessons five and six are combined. Um, one of these days I'll rewrite this course and change some things. Um, but lesson five is called In Adam and lesson six in Christ. Um, we need to, to grasp the fact, and I don't want to shoot next week's lesson in here, but until a person has been born again through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, they are in Adam. We're born into Adam's family. We are, from the viewpoint of God, he sees that unsaved person as in Adam. It's where he is. It's his position. And when we, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then God himself moves us from that family and to the God's family. We're then, we're then in Christ and become known as the children of God because we are now in Christ. We live and move and have our being in Christ. That's our position now. Our position in the view of Almighty God is that he sees us as in Christ. I want you to view something here. What does it say down there in verse 19? That God was in Christ. Well, remember we talked about the Trinity? <laughs> it's just further proof of the fact that Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, but he is God but even here, God is saying that God the Father is in Christ. How is that? What did we talk about in the beginning? That God is not, does not occupy a body, but he is spirit, right? And, uh, and that one of the things that we wanted to try to capitalize early on is trying to learn the nature of God. So really what's being said here is that that God, God the Father, by his nature and by his spirit and by his will and by all of the things that there is that we could define God as is in Christ. He's in Christ. And what's he doing? He's reconciling us to him. Anybody have any doubt about the word reconciling? We're talking about the Greek word here means to change thoroughly. It's really an important change, but what we want to grasp here is what is changing? What's changing? I'll, I'll pause for a minute and go on for a little bit, but I want, to, we're going to, I want you to have that in front of your mind, what we're looking for. We're looking for here is what's changing. Turn on over, if you will, then to Colossians 1.9, just a little ways on.
I'm sorry, I said 9, it's 19. Colossians 1, 19. Remember that, that word we talked about a while ago that we said was a feeling? Opening sentence here. For it pleased the Father. What's pleased? Isn't that a feeling? It's a good feeling. I want you to see that, that we're, we're dealing with, with God as not some kind of an abstract thing, but, but a God who has feelings like we do. And, and where are his feelings directed uh, at us? For it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Jesus Christ, all of the fullness should dwell. He's talking about the Trinity. All of the fullness of the Trinity is in Jesus Christ. And in him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked words, yet now he has reconciled. God is doing something here that I want us to just really get a hold of. Um, first of all, it pleased the Father. I'm talking about what I'm really wanting to try to portray here is, is a really loving God. And I guess what I need to do to really try to put rubber on the road here is to go back when Adam and Eve sinned. How do you think God felt at that moment? He's a loving God. He created Adam and Eve in love. He loved them enough to give them volition, be able to choose right from wrong. Didn't want them to have to choose that. Told them to stay away from this thing because he's basically saying in the day that you go grab this fruit, then you're going to be responsible for what you do because you're going to know the difference between right and wrong. You won't be innocent anymore. And so the whole picture is of a creator who loves his creation. And you can see that in all the rest of creation, not just in humankind. But God is a loving, caring God. So how do you reckon he felt when Adam and Eve sinned? He was heartbroken. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I was looking for somebody to say. It broke his heart. It broke his heart to the point that, you know, Jesus wept. It doesn't say anything about God the Father weeping. But it broke his heart. And we need to see then that God has moved from Adam all the way up to Jesus Christ. And if you really become a student of the Old Testament, you'll see that's a really long time. We don't even know how long. That may have been. But finally, through Jesus Christ, he's able to do something. What was the result of the sin? Separated the sinner from God. Why? Not because, we talked about this last week, not because God stepped back. But because mine, the, what does it say right here? He says, um, verse 21, and you who once were alienated 
and enemies in your mind. So it was it was the created the created that stepped away. Because he's, use my old terminology, he's saying to God, don't tell me what to do. He's saying, don't be the God of my life. I don't want anything to do with you. I'll figure this out all by myself. I have a tree of knowledge of good and evil. I can figure it out. Okay. So, so here's mankind who's just broken the heart of God. But God still loves him enough. Now, it's, sometimes it's a wonder I'm not at all surprised by the flood. And it's only the, the greatness of the heart of God that made a statement that he'd never do that again. He's sorry he did that. He'll never do that again. Why would he be sorry that he didn't? Because he loved those creatures that died. And that broke his heart. And so now he wants to be able to Put that back together, and that's where the that's where the word reconciliation comes in. That's where we are. We're looking that that God's yeah to change thoroughly. We'll get to more of that in a minute. But but we do have some changing to do. I'll skip ahead a little bit to go ahead and say it because I think this is kind of an appropriate time to get to it. Through the reconciliation. Is God changed? God's never changed, has he? Not ever going to change. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if the word reconciliation really means, the word translated reconciliation really means to change thoroughly what's changing. When God, and what about humankind? <clears throat> Humankind's not changed. They're still the same sinful, degraded bunch of idiots running around that there ever was. What changed? Our relationship. Our relationship, bless your heart. That's exactly what reconciliation is about. God, God did this thing through Jesus Christ. The whole purpose, the whole purpose of what? Of Jesus coming to walk on this planet and just to surrender his life voluntarily on the cross was so that those who would believe God so loved the world that whosoever would believe could be, let's use this word, reconciled to him. Be put back together in a relationship with God like Adam and Eve had before they sinned. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> we talk about, and we'll be getting into it more, and we talked about it some last week about people have needs. Oh, we're, we're a needy people. I invite you to begin to think this way. When you believe that you really need something you don't have, you look to see what God has supplied. And you can also turn to God with your needs. He's not ever saying that you can't do that. But you see, I can't imagine Adam and Eve even having been aware of any needs. What in the world could they have needed? They had everything. They simply had everything. And, and, and everything, I'm, I will go back again to what many of these lessons are based on, and that are these basic human needs. To feel, first of all, loved. And to be able to exercise love. Not good for man to be alone, 
the Lord said. So he made for him, I'm going to put it in my words, somebody that he could love. He exercises love toward and, and to receive love. And all things in the garden, and I've said them, I won't go back over them in this lesson, but the multitude of things that were there for Adam that would have made him feel that he had a purpose. Go forth and subdue the earth, name the animals. He felt confident that he could do it. It was adequate. Everything that we could possibly define as a human need, Adam and Eve had. Now, does the scriptures that we just read say anything about partial reconciliation? No. Brothers and sisters, we have now the same relationship with Almighty God that Adam and Eve had. Do we falter and stumble and fall away? Yeah. The goal is that we ought to be getting better. We're getting to reconciliation means more than just this one-time thing. But, but that we work toward being the kind of person that God really wants us to be. Yeah, we have some work to do. But this word reconciliation is so extremely important. We ought to all, all of us, walk through every day standing straight up. <laughs> hey, group, I don't know about you, but I'm loved. Sorry, old lady, you're old punk of a man, and God just loves me to pieces. So it don't make any difference who you are or what's happening in your life or what kind of circumstances you're facing. You've been reconciled to God, put back together with God the way it was before Adam and Eve sinned. That's the whole purpose. All right, I'm through preaching. Let me get, <laughs> let me get on with the lesson. Uh, I skipped that whole next paragraph. I think I've gone through it, separated from God means a life of needs, and we just talked about that. Go to where it says reconciliation at the point of forgiveness. Um, for it pleased the Lord, which I just talked about, to have all things reconciled to himself. Jesus prayed to Christ. Uh, I want to point out one thing here. About the middle of that paragraph, you see over the right hand side where it starts, it says, He, the Creator, who suffered ultimate insult by being rejected by man, his ultimate creation. Uh, one day I'd like to have just a separate course on this. Maybe if I ever get the opportunity to preach here, this is what I would preach on. The rejection of Jesus Christ. If you really study the New Testament, you can look that there's a place where there's a division. You can see that when Jesus first started his ministry, he came preaching the kingdom of God. He, and that's all he says, came saying over and over that Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God. Early on, we find him with the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about these things that the meek shall inherit the earth and so forth. And he's talking about the kingdom. He's trying to draw people in to this desire for the kingdom of God. The kingdom come. But then as you read where he does miracles, 
and he'd get to the point where he did the biggest miracle of all, I think anyway, where he fed 5,000 men plus women and children with a couple of fish and some loaves of bread. And after he did that, what an enormous thing. Now you talk about a bunch of people. We talk about how big it was that 3,000 people came to know the Lord by Peter's preaching after Pentecost. Uh, but we're talking here, hills full of people. My goodness, five, let's say probably eight or 9,000 people, counting women and children. That's a ton of folks. And they all got fed. And then turned around, almost in the next breath, you got one of these idiots saying to Jesus, give us a sign. From that moment, Jesus begins to make a turn in his preaching. His ministry changes. He begins to go to the cross. Because he's come to the conclusion that they're all idiots. I, <laughs> that's my words. Don't quote me on that. But that's the word I would use. They didn't have enough sense to see that it, it would take God to, to do this. And what I want us to try to do here, what I'm wanting to try to point out for you, again, is these feelings. How must Jesus have felt when he came to his own? He's the creator. Remember, he created all these people that were there being fed. He came to his own, and his own received him not. I, I think it must have broke his heart. The same as, the same as Adam and Eve. It broke his heart. So what Jesus knew, and if you really begin to look at the scriptures from there to the cross with Jesus, you see a man, I believe you see a man moving with a broken heart. He knows that there's nothing else that he can do other than go and give his life for them. He's not going to be able to convince them. No miracle that he does is going to show them. The only thing he can do is go to the cross for them, and perhaps they'll open their eyes when they see him resurrected from the dead. And that's what I want to portray to you, brothers and sisters. I want, to, I want us to be able to see and feel the heart of God. This whole thing about reconciliation, yeah, it's a word and it's a word that we study and everybody that ever studies the Bible talks about reconciliation and we know about reconciliation and we know about that, say, okay, we can get right with God. I want us to see what that really means. What that really, really entails. God loving us so much that he gave his son and that son loving us so much that he just goes to the cross. He just started walking there. You read, you read Matthew, Mark, look at John, and, and, and look at the different direction Jesus begins to take after the feeding of the 5,000. You'll see that he begins to just, it's, it, it doesn't really say so, but it's obvious that they've rejected him and so he don't fool with them anymore. He's just going to the cross. Praise God. Good stuff. Okay. Reconciliation, what it means for us now. Uh, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We'll be talking about that more next week. 
old things have passed away and all things have become new. And what's it talking about? It's talking about the relationship that May said earlier. What, that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about all of a sudden we got a new house and a new car and, and, or a new tractor in the field or anything of that nature. It's talking about something though, but all things have become new and that all things has to do with our relationship with God. Drop down reconciliation of what it means in the future. <laughs> so cool. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 22. Praise God. All right. Turn off reconciliation, part two. <clears throat> I, I don't know, but what maybe when I got on my little preaching stand there that I already covered most of this. To change thoroughly. A study of the scriptures referred to in the beginning of this lesson indicates that the work of God involves two distinct reconciliations. The reconciliation accomplished at Calvary. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Here God was not changed, for he had always loved the world. Nor was the world changed, for it continued in sinful rebellion against God. But by the death of Christ, a change in the relationship between God and man was made possible. The barrier because of sin being taken away judicially, and we'll look at that word in a minute, enabled God to show mercy where judgment was deserved. This reconciliation was the work of God alone in which man had no part. He didn't have any part in that. I, I'm able to get into this word judicially a lot at the jail, of course. <laughs> They're all there facing the judicial system. They understand this pretty well. Uh, and and when we get a little further on, guys, we'll be getting into some lessons about consecration and, and sanctification and justification. Those are coming up for you. Um, but in, in, in the deep part of those words, especially in justification, comes the fact that uh, we're dealing with a law what was given to Moses on Mount Sinai? A law. And uh, is the law done away with? No. We're not under penalty of the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to do what? To fulfill the law. So, so we're, we're not judged by the law so much now because of the fact that we were declared guilty. Get into the first three chapters of Romans. <laughs> and I don't leave any wiggle room at all. Isaiah says our righteousness, the best we are, is filthy rags. God had to declare us guilty because we were and are 
guilty before the law. But what happened to us as we're standing before the judgment seat, Jesus walks in and says, God don't hold Bill's sin against Bill or Robin's against Robin or Pete against Pete or May's against. Lord God, I'm going to pay for their, I'm going to pay for them. That's pretty far out. But basically, that's what happened. The just requirement of the law, which is death, the soul that sins, it must die. The just requirement of the law was met in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he didn't have to pay for his own sin. Because he had no sin. That's the importance of, of Jesus, God walking on the earth, is that, that uh, he had no sin. He did not have to die for his own sin. So I couldn't go there for Bill. Because God would simply say to me, well, I'm sorry, dude, but you've got to pay for your own sin. But when Jesus went there, he met the just requirement of the law because he had no sin, so he could be a substitutionary sacrifice for me and you. So then when God says to us, and he says, and he talks about it in Romans, I believe it's chapter 8, he finally comes to a place and says, there's nothing laid against you. Nobody can bring any charge against you. You're free. You have been declared justified, and it's done judicially. It's done by the law. It's a legal thing. It's done. It's over. It's paid for. What's Satan going to do? He ain't going to come to you and try to tell you that that's not true. He's going to try to. He's going to come to you and do his best to beat you up, to get you to sacrifice yourself, if you will. He'll get you to sacrifice your wholesome, happy, wonderful life, believing that you're just so bad you can't be forgiven. Ask me on that. I know I've been there. But Jesus paid the price, and the fact of the matter is, is it's it's done because it's it, the hammer on the gavel. It's done. Jesus paid for it. It's over. God is justified and judicially declaring us reconciled to God, put back together with God. So the next part, here's the good part. There is a reconciliation wrought by God and the sinner himself where he becomes changed in his rebellious attitude toward God. And that's what I want you to see is the change. This thing about being changed completely, uh, here's where the change comes. Here's where the change is supposed to be, right here. We, what's changed in us and what should be changed in us is this rebellious attitude toward God. I want that to sink in because there's so many ways that so many of us uh, do this day in and day out. Um, let me take it to individual, personal devotion and prayer time. And let me share with you, brothers and sisters, and I'm right here with, if there's, if there's a major flaw in my life that I'm aware of, is that I don't pray enough. And one of my prayers to God is, oh, God, help me with my prayer life. I have a tendency, especially when I was doing woodwork, 
I get up in the morning, I do my daily bread. I do that before I ever even get my clothes on. I'm still in my jammers. I'll do my daily bread. I do that on, online and I, and I read God's word and, and, and I do that. That's a little different than really being in prayer, really wanting to spend some time with God. And then get out and get out the house and go out to the shop and all of a sudden I'm busy and I got this going and that going and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and it's like 10 o'clock in the morning I'm going, didn't pray. Let me tell you what needs to change. And that is here where this rebellious attitude and God's what Paul said to us, basically be in prayer continually. Now, how you do that? I've tried, trying more and more every day to develop an, an attitude where that I'm, my attitude is that I'm just always with God. Because I just don't. I'm not saying it ought not to change, but I, I just don't find myself getting in formal time in prayer with God. And everybody is. Mothers have children, and you know, we all got to go to work, and we got food to fix, and we got a house to clean, and we got things to do, and we got jobs to do. And, it, and sometimes it's really hard to find time to make time for God. Yet I really believe that part of what, what's being said here is that what's supposed to be changed is thing about uh, putting God off. And the, and the best way that I've found is to, to, to keep God just in the front of my mind all the time. And I realize, and I'll even say to God, you know, Lord, I'm, I realize that I've been busy with this and I certainly haven't been in prayer, but God, I'm aware that you're with me. I'm aware you're here. I want my life devoted to God. I no longer have anything in me that wants to say to God, don't tell me what to do. That's the farthest thing from my mind because now I'm wanting to say, oh God, I pray that you're in this up to your eyeballs and you lead me, guide me, and direct me and show me what you're, and if I'm doing something that's not what you want, Lord, put a stumbling block, something, stop me. I don't want to be where you don't want me to be. I don't want to be doing what you don't want me to do. Can you see that that's a, you see, the, the word to change thoroughly. Can you see that that's, that's where it's at? You changed thoroughly from this person that really didn't want anything to do with God to this person that wants everything to do with God. Brothers and sisters, that's reconciliation. I'm open to questions. We got a few more minutes. If we didn't start with prayer. We could probably end that way. Anybody got anything you want to say about that? Well, I hope, I really do hope that if, if nothing else was accomplished through this dissertation of mine here this morning, that I have helped you to see that this whole thing is about love. The whole thing is about God's love. And I am convinced that when Adam and Eve sinned, it broke God's heart. Got a little thing that I thought about on the way into town here that I thought I'd, I'd bring up. <laughs> Don't throw stones at me. Uh, there's not a, we're all adults. There's none of us sitting here that haven't at one point in time, at least, done something that we knew was sin and we knew it was sin before we did it. 
how you think God felt about it. And then and that thing that I would point out to you is this, Satan's not done. You won't be done if God kicks his butt into that lake of fire. So Satan's going to tempt you to sin again. I invite you to remember this. If God's placed something in front of you that you're just fighting so hard to resist, knowing that it's wrong, yet also hearing that little voice in there that says you're going to yield to it, that somehow you remember the heart of God and remember that if you do this, you're going to be breaking God's heart. And I hope that that will be enough for all of us to stop us in our tracks and say, no, I ain't going there. His heart's been broken enough. I think of Jesus when they rejected him. I, that little scripture that comes right at the end of those feeding of the 5,000, he's talking to a half a dozen of the, of the Jewish leaders of the day, and they're saying to him, show us a sign. I can't, I can't help but read that without feeling, oh, what, what must that have done to him? What, you know, he had shown them over and over and over and over that he was God. And yet they just couldn't believe it. Broke his heart. Guys, I'm done. What about prayer requests? Anybody got any prayer requests that we need to go to prayer about this morning? My mom. Your mom? Okay. Yeah, I remember Bill talking about her mom was just talking about the Jones home. Yeah. She's going through a hard time, right? Um, I'll mention my brother. His name is Jim. Uh, I think I told you that just just a little over a week ago now they put him in hospice here. My sister in law, through my sister, she's Jim and Linda got married real young, and he's my older brother. So, so she's been my sister <laughs> for most of my life. Her name's Linda, and she sent us on uh, Messenger a little video thing that she had taken with her phone. And uh, when she first starts it, Jimmy's like cognizant; he's aware, and um, and so she's visiting whether she's getting him to talk to her. And he looks at the camera and kind of waves and stuff. And, and you can tell that Jimmy's there. But almost within an instant, he goes, he's like awake. His eyes are open, but he's, he's oblivious to everything. He's just, it's just gone. And I think that this Alzheimer's thing is one of the most horrible diseases, I, I mean, I don't think I'm right to compare it to cancer or something, my gosh. But what a heartbreaking, horrifying thing this is where people actually lose their mind. Their mind just like goes to sleep. And uh, so I ask you to pray for Jim. My prayer is that how do you ask some God to take someone home early and you don't? But but I pray that God will make Jim's remaining time as comfortable as possible. Um, it's going to be hard on his family. So I ask you to remember Jim and prayer. What's your mother's name? What's your mother's name? Oh. It was me that said my mom. Oh, I thought it was right. <laughs> That's okay. Helen Fry. 
Helen? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. I thought that was wrong. That's okay. That. That's okay. Because well, our, my mother-in-law has Alzheimer's too. So maybe that's okay. Because Bill's, Bill's yeah. one. Yeah, my mom's got Alzheimer's. Okay, I knew he was talking about that the other night Wednesday. Yeah. So Anybody else got something we ought to pray about? Yeah. What's going on with your mom? My mom, um, she's been battling cancer, and then they found it in her head. Oh, my. Bless your heart. I'm sorry. Wow. So, she just finished um, whole brain radiation, radiation, and she's losing her hair now, and she's just not... She's okay. She's, like, the strongest believer I've ever met, but... Um, She's just, it's just sad to see her just lay there. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think of that too is that it, these kinds of things aren't just hard on the person. They're hard on you and you and, and me. It's hard on everybody. It's, it's hard stuff to deal with. We'll pray for Helen. Anything else, guys? Yeah, I've I got one. Um, I told you about the guy at work. Yeah. Night. He got... That belt beat him up pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I got pictures of it. It's bad. Um, so just pray for healing for him. Okay. What's his name? Brad. Brad. Yeah. Brad guy's uh, working on a big, some kind of an air conditioning unit, wasn't it? It's a big exhaust fan. Big exhaust fan. Down on the floor or something, up underneath there anyway, and a belt broke. About took half his face off, I think. Yeah. And uh, so, pretty bad shape. All right. All right. Let's pray. Lord God, first of all, I want to lift you up. God, we want to be able to thank you and worship you. And Lord, allow this minute to be a time of worship for you. We, we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, I do pray for these needs. Pray for Helen. How hard that must be, Lord God. Just make her comfortable. And God, we have the audacity to ask for healing, not knowing your will, but knowing, Lord, your heart. So we ask for you to heal Helen and Brad and Jim and all the others that are in the hearts of the people here. God, we ask for the things that we know in some cases would not be your will. But we're able to express our will and say, we ask. I ask, Lord God, most of all, you have their time be gentle. Have it be as easy as possible for all of them. And for all of the relatives and all of the people that are in love with them. And Lord, I want to lift up the coming service. God, I pray that you'll be glorified in our praise and worship. And I pray that you anoint whoever's speaking this morning. Lord, that you speak through them. We want to hear you speak to us, God. We ask for your blessings on the rest of the day, on each one of us as we go our way. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.